Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Andy Snoke with a message on marriage. Marriage is the basic building block instituted by God uh, for the kingdom of God. Um, I've got quite a bit of information that's been given to me, some from a number of books. I have information that I'll be quoting from a number of the brethren that have shared little nuggets of truth with me. So the information that I'm going to share with you is coming from a number of sources, simply not mine, uh, as well as the Word of God. Uh, excuse me uh, for having the background behind me. Since I'm pre-recording this message, I can use any type of a background, and this happens to be a ranch in Colorado, which I enjoy. So we're going to talk about marriage. So a couple issues first. This is taken from uh, an article written by Brother David Luff on marriage, uh, where David printed out several good points, which were used in an elders and deacons meeting some time ago. And we're going to talk about what is marriage to start with. Marriage is this wonderful institution, this wonderful arrangement created by God, created by God. It's his idea. It's not man's idea. Marriage can be the greatest thing this side of heaven. I should also say marriage is what you make of it. Also, as we move forward, uh, the things that we're going to be teaching uh, on tonight are all from a biblical perspective. God created marriage, and we're going to read about what the Bible says about marriage and what it's all about. Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. That's a key ingredient in marriage. The Lord didn't want man to be alone. Now, we also recognize most people get married. Not everybody does get married, and that's okay. God has not necessarily called everyone to be married, and that's all right. That doesn't mean that you're missing out if that is not your calling. But God looked at man and he said, it's not good that he be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. I'm so happy those verses are in the scriptures. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and he said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. A couple other interesting notes that Brother David Luff provided in his writing. He says, Marriage is not a human institution designed by man, which has evolved over time as a convenient way of designating responsibilities of men and women 
for children, breadwinning, housekeeping, etc. It is a divine institution designed and ordained by God. It is a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman for life. It is a foundational element of all human society. If marriage were of human origin, men would have the right to set it aside. However, God established it, and only he has the right to set it aside. No individual or the state has the right or even the capability to set forth rules for marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Only God has the right and the capability of setting forth the basis for these things, for he has given them to us in the Bible. It is the responsibility of the church to administer the principles set forth by God in the Holy Scriptures. Marriage is a foundation on which God's society, the church, the kingdom of God is set. It is a basic structural unit of the church and therefore the kingdom of God on the earth. It was established before any other formal structural unit of God's society was established. It is unique. It is a unique decision-making unit under one head with which God deals. Marriage is under attack today. Make no doubt about that. However, it is really an attack on society and on God who built the society of marriage. As marriage is weakened, the society is weakened. As marriage within the church is weakened, then the kingdom of God on the earth is weakened. Therefore, the weakening of marriage is no light matter. Today, many in society are advocating same-sex marriage. The Bible is full of scriptures that speaks of marriage being involving only a man and a woman. Genesis 27 to 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And he blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. The command to multiply and replenish the earth cannot be fulfilled in a same-sex relationship. In fact, God refers to a same-sex relationship as an abomination to God. You can read that in Leviticus 20, chapter 20, verse 13. During this meeting, this program tonight, I recognize that my audience is primarily Christians. And as I said, I, I want to speak to Christians. I want to speak to non-Christians as well. Christians have the blueprint. We know the designer. We know the creator of marriage. And marriage should be this wonderful, wonderful experience that you have. And under God's guidance, and if you follow the pattern of the scriptures, you can have a wonderful, wonderful marriage. Now, how does it start? It starts really with young people making a commitment to the Lord. That's where it starts. Young people, if you, have, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the beginning of everything. Everything in your life begins with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's number one. As you enter the teenage years or the dating years, how do you find that good, solid Christian partner that you can be married to for the remainder of your life. The first thing you do 
is you pray. You ask the Lord to guide you, to guide you in your dating. When you're dating or courting, when you're looking out there for another partner, it's okay and it's very good and it's very healthy to lean upon the advice and opinions of your parents, your aunts and uncles, your grandmas and grandpas, uh, other Christians in the church. It's okay to ask their advice on the selection and people that you're dating and meeting. They've uh, they've been married a while. They know a few things, so that's a good thing to do. But ask God to guide your decision-making. When you're dating, the Bible talks a lot about not being unequally yoked. You want a partner that you can be equally yoked with uh, regarding your faith. Don't be, the Bible says, don't be yoked with an unbeliever. Uh, don't date worldly people. Don't, if you're walking with the Lord as a young person, you're dating, I'd like to say don't compromise. Don't think, I'm a Christian, I'm going to church, I'm going to heaven, my name is written down in the book of life, but I'm going to find a guy out in the world and uh, somehow we'll get through it. Maybe I will even change him. Don't do that. Uh, dating is not evangelism. It's not evangelism by dating. Find someone that walks with the Lord. Find someone that understands the order of the home and that's willing to adhere to it. If you adhere to God's blueprint and guidelines, then the Lord can bless your marriage. So don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Set yourself uh, uh, several values that you're looking for in another person. The Bible commands uh, the women, and we'll talk about that in a minute, to submit to a husband. When you're dating men, is this man someone that you can submit to uh, for the rest of your life? And we'll have more talk about that in a minute. The Bible commands a man to be a head of a home. Is when, when a woman is looking for a man, look for a man that can be a good head. Men, when you're dating women, the Bible, look for a wife, a woman that can be submissive to you, that can walk with you, uh, that would make a good partner. Um, the first place to look, one of the best places to look as a young person, is in church. Are there people in church, dating age, in your church? Maybe not necessarily your local assembly, but in another assembly somewhere else at a camp meeting. Are there other young people your age that uh, you could date or become friends with? Look there. Start by looking for good quality people in the church. What if they're not there? What if you're not finding them? Well, then look outside of the church at Christians, though. Talk to Christians. Meet other Christians. Don't, once again, don't try to find a worldly person and try to convert them. Look for other Christians that have your values. Understand and know where you belong. In your dating relationship, invite them to come to church with you. One of the keys is to be able to worship together uh, in the same church. Bring them to church with you. Um, don't be unequally yoked. We often say don't be unequally yoked. We talk about unworld, ungodly people, worldly people. But you do, did you know you can be just as unequally yoked with a Christian as you can a non-Christian? So be very selective when you're dating. Uh, when you're dating, the Bible talks about morality. The Bible says this. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have from God, and you are not your own. The Bible goes on to say in uh, Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among everything, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Fornication is when people have sex that are not married. An adulterer is someone who's married and have sex with another person. And the Bible says very clearly that God will judge them. Realize that God has created the gift of intimacy, the gift of sex for married couples and only for married couples. It's a it's, it's an act of procreation. It's an act of intimacy. It's a gift from God that's placed in a home for, uh, for life, in essence. It doesn't belong in a dating relationship. When you're dating a young man, remember that young man does not deserve and does not have husband duties. And men, young men, when you're dating young girls, remember that girlfriends are not permitted to have wife duties. Just remember there are things that God has reserved for the marriage, and that is where he will bless them. Now we're going to move towards the marriage relationship and see what the Bible says about marriage. Um, one of the ministries that I asked for wisdom quoted a little statement that he heard his grandfather say, that went something like this. He said, if you want to have your marriage to have the quality of a 30-year marriage, the way you do that is you stay married for 30 years. In other words, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about don't just happen immediately. It takes time to develop that relationship where you lean upon one another and you become more and more one. When I look at my wife and I, we've been married for a number of years. At the time of this recording, we've been married 45 years, if you can believe that. We started off as two individuals, and we worked and worked and worked on our marriage, and we tried to build our marriage upon the foundation, and we, we worked hard at it. We still date one another. We enjoy being together. We crave one another's company. And we started off as two individuals, now we're at the point where I don't know where my, I end and she begins. We, we, we're so blended together. And that's the way that it should be. What does the Bible say about the marriage relationship? Let's go to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, where Paul gives commands, directions on marriage. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is a very unpopular word. Very politically charged word in the day that we live in. But God asked for there to be an order in the home. He asked that there be a husband. He asked that there be, uh, that's the head of the home. He asked that there be a wife that walks in submission and assists and helps her husband. That's just the way it is. We can't argue with the word of God. We can't try to change the word of God to try to fit our culture. That's what the word of God says. And this this scenario is all around us. I often think that uh, I fly in airplanes quite often, and in that airplane is a captain and a co-pilot. That captain is trained. The co-pilot has the exact same training as a pilot. 
that co-pilot has the exact ability to fly that airplane and land that airplane just like the pilot. But it's, it, it's been determined somebody has to be in charge. Someone has to be in charge. Sometimes the pilot's flying the airplane. Sometimes the co-pilot is flying the airplane. But someone has to make that decision. Someone, there still has to be a head in the cockpit. Can you imagine flying a plane when the pilot and the co-pilot were constantly fighting over who was supposed to be flying at that particular time? Someone once said that being a head uh, in a home is like having a roof over your head. A wife being in submission is quite like the walls of a house. The head covers the home, offers protection from the rain, from the elements, from all the outside uh, surroundings and elements and perils. And yet there's the wall supporting the roof, supporting the head, offering protection from the outside as well, but offering that support uh, to the roof. Uh, that's like a husband and a wife in a sense. Wives, submit to your own husbands, he says. And he, there's a comma. And then he says, as to the Lord, Ephesians 5, 22, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its, sa its Savior. Christ is our Savior. The husband is the head. He, he starts, starts by talking about how the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now hang in there with me, if you will, because there's a lot of misunderstanding on what, a, the, what the responsibilities of a head is. And then he says, And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything to their husbands. When a wife submits to her husband, she's submitting to a holy order, to an order that God can bless and he will bless. Now he talks to husbands. Husbands, love your wives, comma, and now he's going to give an example of how much we should love our wives. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's asking husbands to love their wives, and I'll add their children, with a sacrificial love, a love where he would give everything for his wife and for his children. I remember I had a young man years years ago. I was actually working with him long ago. We were sandbagging uh, along the Illinois River. A building was being flooded, and we got paid a little extra money late at night, pouring down rain in January, if you can imagine to fill up sandbags to put around this house, this building, this business. Back-breaking labor. It stunk. There was carbon dioxide clouds uh, nearby, and it was a horrible smell. Back-breaking work. And we were both doing this, and this young man said this. He said, you know, I thank the Lord for the opportunity to make a little extra money. And he says, you know, you can put up with an awful lot, a lot of discomfort, as long as you know that your family is home and warm and in bed and taken care of. What impressed me was this young man was talking about his family. He was out doing laborious, back-breaking, smelly, difficult work, and he was giving thanks to God that his family was home and taken care of, and that's because he was. 
That's because he loved his wife and his children as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. A sacrificial love. Men, be willing to sacrifice for the welfare, the spiritual welfare, the physical welfare, the financial welfare of your wife and children. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. And now he turns back. He's talking about Christ in the church. Now he's going to turn back, talking specifically about husbands and wives. As we read these scriptures, what we find is so interesting is he's constantly switching back and forth, talking about Christ in the church and a husband and a wife. Why does he do that? Because in a sense, it's the same thing. It's the same relationship. A husband and wife is the same relationship as Christ in the church. Verse 28, I'm still in Ephesians chapter 5. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's quite an example. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You've heard that saying, happy wife, happy life. Love your wife as your own body. He goes on to say, for no one ever hated his own flesh or his own body, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Let's think about that for just a minute. He said, no one, no one hates their own flesh. You nourish it and cherish it. You and I, regardless of what we say, we love our own bodies. We love our own bodies. That's what he's talking about. What do I mean by that? Without you even thinking about it, if you're hungry, if your body is hungry, what do you do? You feed it. If your body is thirsty, what do you do? You give it something to drink. If your body is cold, what do you do? You put on something warm or you turn up the thermostat. If your body is hot, what do you do? You get a cold drink or you turn on the air conditioner or the AC. You're constantly making adjustments to your body. I'm sitting in a chair right now as I do this broadcast. If my back hurts a little bit or a muscle cramps or whatever, what do I do? I automatically make a little adjustment so that I'm comfortable. I'm constantly, without even being aware of it, in tune of all the desires and needs of my own body. Now, it's hard to do this, but the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, is asking men to be so in tune to their wives, it's like listening to your own body. And that's not always easy to do. Be in tune to your wife. Be in tune to what her needs are. A woman's needs and desires and personality is different than a man's. It's made that way. It's not better. It's not worse. It's totally different. And that's the way that God uh, made them. And God is asking men to learn to be in tune. Learn to see what makes your wife happy. What makes her sad. What, what's good for her? Learn to be in tune to the needs of your wife, uh, spiritual needs, physical needs, sexual needs, all the needs of her wife. We are asked, commanded to be aware of that. That's not easy to do. It's a learned skill. It's a learned skill. 
I grew up with three brothers. I was the oldest. I didn't have any girls in our immediate family. I had a beautiful niece, and that was the extent. Uh, I, I had a female cousin, but I was surrounded mainly by males. And when I got married, I didn't understand women, not having an older sister, not having a sister at all. But I want to tell you something. It's a learned skill. And you say, well, I should have to learn that. Well, you know, I... I, I don't know French, but I can learn it. I can learn it. I didn't know the language of, of a wife. That I didn't know her physical language or spiritual language or her, the, the gifts that she needed. But I learned to speak her language, and she learned to speak my language. We'll talk more about that later. There are things that you can do to learn from one another. And then he goes on. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ says the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I'm reading from the ESV version, and I like the way that he says it. Let's read that again. A man shall leave his father and mother. When you become married, you leave your mother and father. You leave your mother and father. Now, when I got married, I had a mom and dad that absolutely adored my wife, and Debbie's mom and dad loved me. There never were any issues. But if for some reason my parents or my wife's parents had issues with our spouse, all of a sudden the parents that I loved all my life, their opinion would no longer matter because I have left them. There's a place where you leave mom and dad, you still respect them. You still honor them. But you've got your own home. You have your own home. Married couples, when you get married, you have to be careful about saying things like this. Well, my dad never did that. Or my mom never did that in my home. Or my mom always cooked this way, whatever it may be. We leave our mother and father. And then he says this. And the two shall become one flesh. I'd like to say, when particularly when you first get married, that becoming one flesh, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes some time to become one flesh. Keep working at it. Keep working at it. If you have to have arguments over, that's fine. But keep working at becoming one. It is not natural. It's like taking a bowl of ice cream and dropping in a dollop of uh, cold chocolate and a dollop of cold vanilla, and two distinct individual flavors. You put them in a bowl. They're not one. They're, they're, they're two, and they don't change. But with a little heat and a little time, they slowly melt, and they become, they become one. That's the way husband and wife is. Over a period of time, as I said in the beginning, if you want a 30-year marriage, the quality of a 30-year marriage, you've got to be married 30 years. It takes time to become one. We become one over a process of time of loving one another, respecting one another over a period of time. A husband is is to obey the command of Christ to love his wife, even if she does not obey the command to respect him. And a wife is to obey the command to respect her husband and submit to him, even if her husband does not obey the command to treat his wife in a loving way. They actually go hand in hand. To say it another way, there's no justification for a husband to say, 
I will love my wife after she shows me some respect. And a wife cannot say, I will, I will respect my husband when he earns my respect by meeting my needs for affection and love. When a husband feels disrespected, he has a natural tendency to react in ways that feel unloving to his wife. When a wife feels unloved, she has a natural tendency to react in ways that feel disrespectful to her husband. This destructive behavior can become a cycle that spirals downward and results in a negative impact on the marriage of the marriage relationship. A woman needs love like she needs the air to breathe. A man needs respect like he needs the air to breathe. I'm continuing reading some words that Brother David Love penned in his article to the uh, uh, for his teaching material for the elders and deacons meeting some time ago. But in 1 Peter 3, 7, this is the NIV, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. To avoid the downward cycle of conflict, we must remember that wives need love and husbands need respect. Husbands, as we consider our wives, we must remember 1 Peter 3.7. When Peter refers to our wives as the weaker vessel, he's not saying that they are not strong or of less value. Women are like pieces of fine china. She is not to be treated roughly or coarsely as the way a man might interact with another man. She is soft and easily bruised and should be handled with great care. It is these characteristics that enable her to sit up all night with a sick child and still be put in, still put in a full day's work the next day. It is this weaker nature, delicate nature, that enables her to subjugate her needs and desires to the needs of her family. As husbands, when we become loud, sometimes without realizing it, our wives see that as an unloving behavior and they will wilt right before our eyes. If a wife deflates because of something her husband did or said, or any other woman observing the exchange will see it as unloving in exactly the same way. They are wired that way. When our wives try to unload their hearts on us husbands, we jump immediately to problem solving and solution development. Men are fixers, fixers. If a man goes to another man with a problem, he assumes that that man wants some suggested solution, which is usually the case. When a man receives a phone call from another man after saying hello, his next thought is, what do you want? Let's be clear. Our wives don't want their husbands to be like their girlfriends. They want us to be men, but they want us to treat them in loving ways. We are the only man in their life who can give them the love they deeply need. Let's talk about finances uh, briefly uh, in the home. Uh, finances, uh, many marriages are broken over financial decisions. Uh, moms and dads, husbands and wives to learn to make prudent, wise financial decisions together. Uh, simply put, spend, <laughs> spend less money than what you make. Live modestly. Live modestly. You want to have enough money left over that you can buy your wife an ice cream cone, that you can do things uh, together and enjoy life. 
the first check that you write at the beginning of the week should be your tithe check. Our tithing is an active, it's a command from God, number one in the book of Malachi, the third chapter, to pay our tithe, which is 10% of, an, of our increase. When you pay that tithe to God, it's your first fruit. You're worshiping God with your tithe. When you pay your tithe to the Lord, that, that enables him and requires the Lord, obligates the Lord to take care of you in physical and financial ways. Pay your tithe, number one. Learn to live uh, below your means. Drive a, if you need to, drive a used car that's got many miles on it. Uh, buy used furniture. Buy used clothing if that's what it takes. Learn to live modestly and within your income. Learn to save money. Learn to put some money away every month uh, for the future, for retirement and for the future. Realize it's not always easy. Uh, depending on where you live, you're, there are different programs, 401ks, IRAs, company retirements. But learn to put a little bit away while you're young to help yourself out uh, later uh, when you're older. Uh, men, uh, if you can do it, buy term life insurance. Buy a life insurance policy, an economical one. I like term life because it's cheaper. I'm only interested in providing some money from the term life if I pass away from my wife. Uh, but look down the road and be responsible uh, with your finances. Don't buy everything that comes on the market, everything that's brand new and shiny. Don't think that you have to buy it uh, to be happy. So be very, very careful with your finances and make sure that you're paying your bill to the Lord, your tithe to the Lord. And let's move on a little bit to children. As you're married for a while, pretty soon children come along. Children are some of the best, we may not agree with it, maybe everyone doesn't, are some of the best years of your life. I have lived, my wife and I, Debbie, have lived a very full, happy life. And there was nothing like having children. We just loved every minute of it, having our kids, and we invested in them. Never felt like we made sacrifices. We were investing in them. Spend time with your children. Let's read the Bible first. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Children, young kids, if you're watching this broadcast, here's a command for you. It's pretty simple. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's all it says. You have young kids in the home, including teenagers, if they're underneath your roof. You have a simple command. Obey your parents. It's not the children's prerogative to say, well, Dad, you say I have to go to bed at 8 p.m. and Susie down the street doesn't go to bed till 10 p.m. It's not fair. It doesn't matter what Susie does. You don't live in Susie's home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Learn to obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. So they give some commands for the children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me read that again. Fathers and mothers, I'll say, don't provoke your children to anger. That doesn't mean give them everything they want. Don't provoke them to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up right. You know, moms and dads, this is a controversial subject, and some of you may become a little upset with me when I say it. 
But when you're raising children, particularly young teenagers or preteens, it's your prerogative and your responsibility to be nosy. What do I mean by nosy? In the, in the realm of social media today, kids are on Instagram, they're on Facebook, they're on Snapchat. Uh, who I don't even know where they're at. They're on TikTok. I don't know where they're at these days. There's a lot of garbage, a lot of ungodly influence, a lot of worldly influence, a lot of wrong things coming in their direction while they're up late at night on their phone or on their iPad. Be nosy. Be nosy what they're watching, what they're looking at, who their friends are. Be nosy. I mean, as uh, young people have been bullied on social media, and when you're young and you're a preteen or a teenager, your 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 um, your internal strength is you're very fragile, and you can be hurt so quickly and easily by your peers and your friends, and it can seem like the end of the world. Moms and dads. Make sure your kids have healthy influences in their homes. Make sure you know where your kids are going. Have a curfew. Set a curfew for them to be home at a certain time at night. Set up a password, whatever it may be, to find a way to know what your kids are watching and what they're doing. Moms and dads, it's your responsibility, as long as your kids are at home, to raise them right, to raise them in a safe, productive healthy environment that they can grow up and thrive in and become good, strong, Christian young men and young women ready to go out into the world. It's your job to do that. Once your young people grow up and they move out of your house, you don't have control over them anymore. So you got to use those years while they're young to, re, to bring them up, in the, as the scripture says, in the discipline, the admonition, and the instruction of the Lord. I'm going to continue with a few little tips on marriage enrichment, and what I'm reading from is actually the notes from Brother Mervyn Sumble from the year 2011 on marriage tips and, and uh, uh, improving your marriage, bettering your marriage. And let me just rattle off some of these to you quickly, uh, some good tips on improving your marriage. He says, understanding the other person. Understanding comes from listening, observing, empathizing, and dialogue. Dialogue is not always easy for men. When we understand and are understood, it triggers a powerful bonding experience in a relationship. Learn to attend to small things. Little kindness and courtesies make big deposits. Keeping commitments, keeping them as a, as a major deposit to your love bank, breaking them as a major withdrawal. Keeping promises builds trust. Clarifying expectations. It takes communication to clarify the expectations that a husband and wife hold for each other. When expectations are clear, most people try to honor those expectations. Showing personal integrity, loyalty, honesty, truthfulness, and maturity. You recognize, respect, and honor the dignity of your spouse. Here's another one. Apologize sincerely. A sincere apology is a deposit into that love bank that helps to heal and mend. An insincere apology attaches conditions to it and is therefore a withdrawal from your love bank. Marriages are like, like vehicles. They need regular maintenance. They need regular maintenance. 
Here's four general maintenance features for a marriage. Love is the oil that keeps friction from developing in the marriage. Communication keeps the light of understanding flowing between husband and wife. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violence sheds on the heel that has crushed it, according to Mark Twain. Forgiveness heals hurts and offenses that we all have experienced in our marriages. Headship and submission is a biblical concept when fully understood result in a husband and wife living together in unity and harmony. Here's a few other quick tips that I'm going to quote to you as well. Start each day with a kiss. It's easy, doesn't cost anything, doesn't consume a lot of time. Wear your wedding ring at all times. The ring is a reminder of the vow that you made to one woman and her alone. It tells everyone who may be interested that you are married and you are committed. Accept differences. Even husbands and wives do not always agree about everything. When the difference becomes a source of conflict is where the problem arises. However, there are things that are so fundamental to a good marriage relationship that there should be basic agreement or understanding before the marriage, before uh, before you get married. So accept that there will be differences and also work on those. Another one, be polite. Learn to be polite to one another. There are some things best left unsaid. You don't have to win every argument because you think it does not mean that you have you have to say it. I, uh, when I say something on the sarcastic side with my wife, she'll say, was that really necessary? Number five, be gentle. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Philippians 4, verse 5. A person who is gentle is willing to sacrifice his or her own personal rights to show consideration to others. Number six, give gifts. A gift does not have to have a high price tag. A card is a gift. It can be for an occasion. It can be a surprise. I think most women like surprises and men don't mind them either. Smile often. A smile is a universal language. Everyone, everyone understands what a smile conveys. Date once in a while. This is, I think this is an important one. As husbands and wives, learn to date frequently. Uh, even when you have little children, go on dates. Have that. Uh, dates do not have to be expensive. Set some time aside every every week, at least once a week, maybe several times, where you and your wife have a little special time, whether it's to get an ice cream cone or walk around the block holding hands or whatever it may be, you're going to Sam's or Costco and getting free samples. But find a way to have some delightful time with your spouse and with your family. Those things are so important. Find a way to date one another to do things that you enjoy. Touch. Learn to touch. There's something about touch that is very special, and especially for the person you are in love with. Learn to touch. Learn to show affection. Don't ever let that wear out. We were, my wife and I were having breakfast yesterday morning uh, in this restaurant and she sat across from me and we were drinking our coffee. We laid our hands across the table and we held hands. We held hands and we actually looked at each other's and 
gaze into each other's eyes. It was a very romantic moment, even after 45 years. And I wondered what other people might have thought in that restaurant. Here's this older couple sitting there looking at each other's holding hands and smiling. They might have thought there was something wrong with us. But date and touch one another. Hold hands. Talk about dreams. Talk about your future. Find a song that you can say, that's our song. Here's another one. Give back rubs. This is another form of touch that can be therapeutic as well as, as, well as romantic. Learn to laugh together. Laugh together. Find funny situations. Cultivate humor in your relationships, even if, if you have to laugh at yourself sometimes. But learn to laugh together. Enjoy your time together. Send a card to one another for no reason. She may enjoy receiving it through the mail or email or text message or hand delivered. The point is you're demonstrating that you're thinking of her and you took the time to find a nice card that expresses your love uh, for her. I want to thank you for patiently listening to me uh, during this broadcast talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is marriage. Marriage is an institution that God created from the very beginning between a man, a husband, and his wife, between male and female. If marriage is followed properly and if you work at your marriage, it can be the greatest thing on the face of the earth, the greatest thing on the face of the earth. And thank God for marriages, good marriages, good homes, produce good kids. Good kids produce good adults, which produce more good kids, which produces a strong, healthy church and produces a strong, healthy society. Marriage is crucial. It's critical. It's very near to God's heart. You can have a good marriage. God wants you and I to have an abundant life. If you're struggling in your marriage, go back to the blueprint. Go back to the scriptures. And also, there are those in the church that you can call on from time to time if you're struggling in your marriage that can be that can help you out in those areas, particularly older couples that have learned to iron out their problems through the years. They have a lot of hidden wisdom that could be of help to you. So I'm going to close this session in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the, the wonderful institution of marriage and the home and the family and children. I pray that you help all of us to better understand it and to have the strength to walk orderly the way that you called us to walk in these things so that you can just bless us. You can bless us in a wonderful, wonderful way. I pray for those that may be watching or listening that are struggling in their marriage that they might have the wisdom to follow the blueprint, follow the pattern, dear Lord. Iron out the differences. Learn to be patient. Learn to hang in there. Learn to listen to one another. Learn to date one another. Learn to go back to square one if necessary, but to move forward uh, as their marriage matures, dear Lord. We thank you for our marriages, for the home, and for the family, and for sharing these things with us. In Jesus' precious name we pray and thank you. Amen.
If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.